The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. MLB show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 206 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. First time we're recording this in the same room and it's quite some time. Uh, to quote the Alban brothers, I have been a rambling man. I have been in Arizona. I have been in California. I've been in Long Island, Westchester, and Newark, all Where in between. Where were you in Long Island? I'm not. I was in Long I'm going to Long Island this week. You can see my brain is still a bit mush. But we're here. We're recording. And uh, baseball opening day. We are two weeks away. Two weeks from Thursday. That's cool. It's two weeks from Thursday? It's two weeks from Thursday. I will be in the Bronx. Um, and I'll say it right now. Opening day in the Bronx. We're going to do our first BovadaSportsbook.com over-under of the day. Um, it's Yanks-Giants. I have friends from California flying in who are Giants friends, Matt and Tennyson. Um, so I, I just want to get all the external factors on the table. It'll be me and Ryan, my usual crew. We will be at La Bodega. But I have people flying in, and I'm going to a concert in Westchester that night. So all that said, we're going to put the over-under on beers consumed at opening day. Um, and for beers, let's say... A beer is a beer. Well, I, not, my book, a beer is a beer. Well, that's advantageous to me then. That's fine. All right, let's go over under seven and a half beers over the course of when I over. arrive and leave the Bronx. Over. What are you going with? This will tell me a lot including about what you think of Including me. the concert? No, just my the duration of my day uh, in the Bronx. Then under. I'm going to go slight over with the caveat of it all depends on if my first beer of the day is an IPA or not. I was expecting you to drink an IPA. I, you know what it is? And you can't keep... Cru- you No, like, I agree. You just cannot crush IPA after IPA. No. Especially if I'm trying to be a productive person after. And um, what concert is it? Wilco. Which is not like a huge get drunk concert. It'll probably be more of like a... Mellow out concert. Mellow out concert. Um, so I'll go... I'll go slight over. I'll put myself at eight to nine beers because I think I'm going to try to stick to Coors Light that day. I love Coors Light. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to try to be cold like the Rockies. Um, big week in baseball from the standpoint of the World Baseball Classic has been up and running. Had a few big upsets, some cool moments so far. Uh, USA, did you realize if we don't win tonight by eight runs, I think we probably get eliminated. Yeah, I saw something like that. And Canada's no Canada's a real team. No, Canada's a real team. They, I mean, Freddie's was our pick to win the MVP last year. They're led by Freddie Freeman. Um, first, I would say colossal upset of the tournament, and we're going to end it with our WBC tournament coverage. Great Britain beating Colombia—that's a massive, massive upset. I was shocked that Great Britain had a team. Yeah, they lost to the U.S. Uh, 5-1. Schwarber hit a big home run. The U.S. is 1-1. One one. Um, they were led today by Mr. Uh, Harry Ford, top 30 prospect in all baseball, 20-year-old catcher uh, for the Mariners. He had a homer and two RBIs. But, I mean, great for the people of Great Britain who love baseball. I don't know many. We think our friend Liam Duffy likes it because he follows a men's league softball team. 
but good for them. Uh, more upsets to come, uh, and we're going to talk about the WBC more at the end. Um, but there wasn't really a big news story for this week coming into the weekend. Um, and then Saturday, it's crazy. The basement dwellers of the NL West have made the news the past two weeks. Last week, we did a lot of Rockies news. Uh, and today, we're going to talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks and outfielder Corbin Carroll, who's the number one prospect in all of baseball, have agreed on an eight-year extension worth at least $111 million in guaranteed money. The deal also contains a $28 million club option for the 2031 season, and an additional $20 million is available in escalators covering the 29 to 31 seasons. Deal begins with a $5 million signing bonus for Carroll and a $1 million salary this season. He'll earn $3 million in 2024, $5 in 2025, 10 in 26, 12 in 27, 14 in 28, uh, and then 28 in each of the 2029 and 30 seasons, and the $28 million club option for 2031 includes a $5 million buyout. So before we get to the player itself, um, do you think this is going to be more of a trend that we've yeah. seen? You know, we've seen Wander Franco after sort of in the middle of this financially. Um, we think this is going to be more and more common. I think for the teams, obviously, they'd like it to be more common. But do we think players are going to sign these deals that lock them up uh, in one place until they're at least 30, 31 years old? It's, um, I mean, it, it happens every once in a while now. You think about from a team perspective, this makes way too much sense to follow the Braves model instead of, I mean, like, look, when I heard this contract, the first one I thought it was Tatis. And if you let the guy play a couple years... Then you're going to end up having to give a $300 million contract. But if you can bet on a guy after 38 days, and if he does number one prospect, if he does pan out, teams steal. He's 22 years old, so again, he's going to hit free agency at 31. This will buy out the remainder of his club-controlled years as well as at least two of his free agent years. Uh, and this is, again, this is the future face of the franchise. He's a former first-round pick. Um, and again, it's the largest deal ever for a player with less than 100 days of major league service. And there's nothing exciting in Arizona right now. Zach Allen. For now. Zach Gallon. But there I mean Arizona's it's so I mean that lineup is boring. Last year in 115 plate appearances, he made his debut at 263, uh, with four home runs over 115 plate appearances. Defensively, was five outs above average. Um, and crucially, he fell 15 plate appearances short of reaching 130 last year, uh, which means he'll be eligible for the Rookie of the Year honors in 2023. I haven't looked at the Rookie of the Year honors, but I have to think Carroll is one of them, not the overwhelming Bavada favorite in the National League. And it'll be interesting to see if this contract, how much that moved the odds. I haven't done the deep digging there. Uh, but again, he's the 16th overall pick in the draft. And his first year of Pro Bowl as a 19-year-old in 2019, 299, 409, 487. He missed 2020 due to the pandemic. And then he missed significant time in 2021 due to a dislocated shoulder. So again, he basically didn't play for two years. And last year, he hit 24 home runs, 307, 425, 611 across three minor league levels. Keith Law, the athletic, has him as the top overall prospect in the sport, setting his plus power and advanced plate discipline while labeling as a true center fielder. Um, the AAV comes out to $13.875 million. Arizona has a ton of money coming off the books uh, with only $32 million guaranteed for 2025. Um, and again, this gives them flexibility. And when you hear it like that, it's you know a little under $14 million over the length of this contract. If this guy lives up to the hype, it's like you said, he's going to be – this is a potential $300 million player. Um, so you're locking them in now cost efficiently. You know, I, I think a lot of people, when I've spoken to them about this deal, you know, friends of ours, 
they've said to me their concern of, is Carroll selling himself short? And on some level, the answer might be yes. But you're 22 years old. You're locking in $111 million right off the bat. And here are the three salaries I want to focus on, you know, when we were going through those before. He's going to earn $1 million this year with a $5 million signing bonus. So $6 million this year, $3 million in 2024, $5 million in 2025. Um, so again, when he was going to be making the league minimum, that's he's averaging about $4.5 million in the next three years. And then in those arbitration-eligible years, he was going to make $10, $12, $12, and $14 million. I also think that's a fair number. Like I think the numbers they came to to make this extension work did make it fair for both teams. I mean, $111 million is a huge number. Obviously, it's not as big as the Franco number, but to go from making the league minimum to millions of dollars those first three years and then agreeing to fair arbitration numbers, because again, he's in all likelihood, is even if he's great, you know, $10 million your first year of arbitration, that's a lot of money. You, you were If you were doing that, you are an upper echelon superstar player. So that's why I think it's a fair deal for both sides here. It's, it's fair if you put the injury. <clears throat> he, he's coming off injuries. He already has an injury history. And if you have an injury history and you're being offered 111, you probably take it. But those, using those arbitration numbers, are well, you're using arbitration numbers from today. That's those true. arbitration numbers are going to be four, five, six years from now. 10 million might be, that might be on the low end for what high overachieving young players get. I think it also depends how the Players Association decides to go after arbitration just because something we've seen the past couple of years is it doesn't matter how much the game itself evolves. It seems like the process doesn't in terms of what statistics they use. Uh, no, you're definitely right. I mean, look, I, I think Carroll w- took the guaranteed money. The D-backs are taking a gamble. I think they met in the middle in a fair manner. Uh, here's a question I have for you in terms of – I just mentioned the Players Association. How do you think the Players Association and Tony Clark – views deal view deals like this from the standpoint of obviously it's incredible when a 22 year old can lock in a hundred plus million dollars right off the bat but it also sets the precedence now where you know the players make money through the arbitration process and then the reach free agency and the players are cutting off the potential earning powder through that avenue because again the whole mlb player association thing that was judge's whole thing was i'm setting the contract for the next generation and the next guys to come after me well, Judge didn't take the highest contract he was offered, though. Yeah, he still took $360 million. <laughs> he was offered four fifteen. If his point was to set the bar, then he should have taken the four fifteen offer. Also fair. I, the Players Association can't like this. This is bad because you're not maximizing what you can earn. And if you take a lesser, team more team-friendly deal, even if it is locking in over $100 million before you really play a full before you play a full season, it's bad for business because it just allows for teams to exploit promising young talent. Yeah, I just if you, I agree with you, and I think you're right. I think from the players' association perspective, though, it's hard to tell a 22 year old, "Hey, don't lock yourself into 111 million dollars," even if it's the right thing to say. At, you know, at a certain point, heart meets brain. You know, the, I mean, again, the players' association should have advised him not to take the deal. If the players' association was picking, he wouldn't have taken the deal. Players' association's job is to maximize earnings for the players. That's why you have a union to get more money. Yeah, and, and when contracts like these go into play, like I'm fascinated now for the guys who haven't, for young guys who haven't reached extensions. Like if Corbin Carroll, who's played, you know, 30 odd some games in the big leagues and making $111 million, like I'm really interested in the next couple of years. And again, totally different players, but to see what like a Vlad who's going to hit free agency at 27, 28 makes, or even a Pete Alonso, like guys who did go through the process and are now hitting free agency. Because the floor now is almost, and again, these guys I think are going to blow by it, but the floor is 110, 120 million now. 
that's the floor for Arbit. The, uh, you're trying to say that the Vlad Jr. floor is 110? No, it'll be way, way more than that. But I, I think this is now... I think before there wasn't as much of a jumping off point. I think now you could... I think now the floor for Vlad, Pete, all these guys should be 200 plus million because you could just point to, hey, these guys, this guy's not going to hit free agency until 31. You know, he just You're, signed... It's apples and oranges trying to compare Vlad Jr. to Corbin Carroll. No, I agree. And I led with that. I, I just... I think now if you're the agents of these guys who are established and you could point to, hey, a guy who has 30 games under his belt, he got $110, $120 million. My client at a minimum with this proven track record should be getting well over 200 plus. Why would you use Corbin Carroll when you could point to Machado? I wouldn't use it as the same comparison. I'm just making an overarching statement that for guys who are going through the process... Deals. If you haven't, it's bad for the player association at large. I think it's good for guys who play out the process because I think all it does is raise the floor for those guys tremendously. Yeah, I think it has absolutely nothing to do with Vlad Jr. They couldn't be more. They, I'm just so using different. Vlad as an example for just guys who haven't signed the big extension and are going to play it through. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Okay. Vlad Jr. and Corbin Carroll are inherently very different players. Just look at the two body types. It, any, that's not what's going to be fascinating is we've seen these deals with Wander who's panned out with Acuna who's panned out what's going to happen when it doesn't pan what out what happens when it doesn't pan out Who are the teams going to stop doing that in a roundabout way I don't know if I could definitively say yet the Wander deal hasn't panned out he signed the deal he barely played last year I think Wander is going to be a stud but Wander had more of a track record in the big leagues they, Arizona basically gave they gave this guy under 40 games Acuna is Acuna the, any of the Braves deals are great examples yeah those all work out fine this is it's going to be interesting if, if this one falls flat which it might because fuck shy he played 40 games yep definitely ups his value in our keeper league for sure though uh, another guy who signed a deal not a big deal once upon a time he signed a big free agent deal but now he's heading to Japan Trevor Bauer Found his new home. One-year, $4 million deal with the Yokohama Dine Bay Stars of Japan's Nippon Professional Baseball. Uh, again, he'd previously been suspended for 324 games under MLB's Joint Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Child Abuse Policy. Uh, back in December, they announced that Bauer's suspension had been reduced via appeal to the 194 games he'd already served. Uh, the Dodgers then released him, and for the past two months, he's been a free agent who's been free to sign with any major league team for the league minimum. Dodgers were on the hook for his 2023 salary under the terms of his previous three-year, $102 million contract. Um, and now head overseas to pitch in the MPB, which is regarded as the second best league in the world behind Major League Baseball. Uh, with the Dodgers signed Bauer, he's coming off a Cy Young year into his age 30 season. Um, he had a 173 ERA in 73 innings during the Mickey Mouse 2020 year, but again, did win the Cy Young. Uh, and he was very strong through 17 starts with the Dodgers, even as they cracked down on sticky substances. 259 ERA. Um, and then over the course of his past 569 big league innings, he's a 307 earned run average there. This is a big get for the MPB. I mean, again, I know Bauer has a pitch in two years. And I'm just talking about Bauer, the baseball player. We'll talk about the optics and the person in a second. But, you know, this is a guy that the last we saw him won a Cy Young and was on his way to being an all-star and being in the Cy Young conversation for the Dodgers in 2021. Again, we haven't seen a pitch in a year and a half, so who knows how he looks. Um, But I'm interested to see how Bauer does in Japan. I don't know what... You know, I, I think a guy like him that's so polarizing, do you think he'll be more or less polarizing in Japan where the media probably just won't give a shit as much about his nonsense? I don't know if they enforce sticky substances. There's a lot of interesting storylines, I think, that go into Trevor Bauer heading to Japan. It depends if he learns Japanese. 
If he actually takes the time to learn the language and assimilate, then I think he'll be... I think he will. I think he I, is I think that guy who goes all in. I think he will, too. I think he'll be fine. I don't... I, I just don't think he's... He's not chief concern of the Japanese media. That's not... It. The ja- Japanese media doesn't give a shit about Trevor Bauer. I'm assuming. I, that, again, that's an assumption. I don't follow Japanese, <sighs> Japanese baseball that closely. But I would imagine taking an American... From the American perspective... America doesn't cover international stars the same way. So I would assume it's the same over in Japan. Outside of Otani. Outside he's, of Otani. He's the only one, and that's a unicorn. He actually just became the first baseball player on Instagram with three-plus million followers. Otani's a once-every-hundred-years talent. Yeah. He's different. Bauer's a very good pitcher, but he's not a once-in-a-generation talent. So without knowing <laughs> any of the MPB offensive stats from last year— Let's just do a very simple bovada over under here for Trevor Bauer. Uh, over under three ERA this year in Japan. Under. How much under do you think? Well under. And I, let's just call a spade a spade here. If he goes and pitches like the Trevor Bauer of old in Japan this season, is there a realistic possibility we see Trevor Bauer back stateside the following year, or do you think the damage has been done so much that at, at this point? You know, that ship has sailed. No major league team is going to take the PR hit, even if it's a year removed, and he remakes his image a bit in Japan. No. Um, I think Trevor Bauer is the kind of guy who, if the league spurns him, he's just going to say, fuck off. And he will probably do two years in Japan. Would be my my guess, based off Bauer the person. He's just pissed off that he was essentially blackballed from MLB for good reasons. He also seems like one of those guys, though, that once he goes to Japan— I could see him being there for like the next, honestly, like five or six years if a team never wants to go back. Because I do think he's someone who would buy into the Japanese culture. You know, look, you you could say what you want about Bauer, the person. But I do think one thing that everybody would agree on who's ever followed Trevor Bauer, the baseball player, his work ethic is impeccable. You, you know, in terms of going to driveline, helping to improve himself. Did he use some nefarious methods to get there? Potentially. But that's where I think he'll fit into the MPB very well is... I think he'll buy into the culture. I think he'll work his ass off to fit into their style of baseball. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm intrigued to see how this goes. He's going to be really good. He's going to be really good over there. Another young guy signed an extension this week, uh, less famous than Corbin Carroll, but was involved uh, as part of a big trade of Trevor Bauer's former team, the Dodgers. Kerbert Ruiz, the 24-year-old catcher, uh, agreed to an eight-year contract extension to guarantees of at least $50 million with the Nationals, who receive a signing bonus, earned $7 million in 2028, $9 million in 2029, and 30, and he has a higher salary than he normally would receive in his last pre-arbitration year. Uh, Ruiz was the centerpiece in the 2021 trade deadline move that sent Trey Turner and Max Scherzer to the Dodgers. Him and Josiah Gray headlined a four-player return. Both were upper-level prospects, and Ruiz would get a look as Washington's primary backstop by the end of the 21 campaign. After playing in 23 games down the stretch last year, he got the Nats opening day catcher spot, played 112 games, 433 plate appearances, though his season was cut short uh, when he took a foul ball to the groin that year. But before that, 251, 313, 360 slash line in his first full season at the big league level, uh, which again was better than the big league average catcher who had 228, 295, 368. Didn't have a ton of power, um, but he had excellent contact skills. He had fewer than 12% uh, strikeout rate, uh, which only Alejandro Kirk showed comparable contact skills. 
skills at the position. Again, Kirk was an all-star last year. He's always put the ball in play that well. Uh, he's a slightly below average pitch framer, um, but he did block five more pitches than average over the course of 865 innings last year. He did hit 21 home runs and 72 AAA contests in 2021. So hopefully, you know, he'll tap into that double-digit power for the Nats. Um, I don't know. I don't have much to say about this move. I, I think... You know, eight years, $50 million for former top prospect. That was good enough to headline a trade for Scherzer and Turner is one thing. From what I read about this trade, though, Nationals fans don't even really love it, uh, which to me is very concerning because eight years for $50 million at any position, uh, that comes out to what? Less than six and a half million, six and a quarter million a year. I mean, that's a very good AAV. And, you know, a 24-year-old catcher, catchers don't really break down until the early 30s. So, you know, even age-wise, this takes Ruiz through a good level. Um, I, I just think Nationals fans, when they thought of who was going to be the first of this young core to lock up, I don't think they expected it to be Ruiz. That said, you know, if he develops, you know, 15, 16 homer power like he had in the minors, gets that average up to like 270 on base to like 330, yeah, I guess it's a good deal. I, I just, I don't know enough about Kerber Ruiz to have a, an opinion one way or the other, other than to just say we're not that far removed from him getting traded for you know, a guy that you and I might pick to win the Cy Young in two weeks and a guy I might pick to win the NL MVP in two weeks. I, I actually kind of like this deal in theory. It's not a lot of money from the Nats. And I, if I was building a team, locking up the catcher would be high up on my priorities. I would love to know that I have the same catcher for the next better part of a decade. So if they believe in the guy, it's fine. I mean, is he... Could he be like? Could he be Salvador Perez for him? But worse, a little bit, maybe a little worse. Sure, why not? Like they, the Salvi's the only guy that's consistent and has been in Kansas City, and it helps. Just having that steady presence behind the plate helps your pitchers. It just helps. It, you don't want to like right now. We're going through it with the X. We don't know who the catcher is. We don't really trust. Him. I don't like the catcher. It was great growing up with Jorge because we just knew year in year out we got this same guy number twenty sitting there. So now Nats fans, at least they know what they have. Yep, and hopefully they just develop into what they want and expect him to be. Uh, but again, even if he doesn't, at $6.5 million a year, and the Nats payroll... There is no payroll. Is like a, well, they still have Strasburg and Corbin on the payroll, but I think they're like a year or two from being clear on both Corbin. of those. Uh, what was Strasburg? Another... I think it was it's 7 for 175 right yeah. after the World Series. All right, so they got a few more Strasburg, but Corbin is almost done. Um Corbin was a six-year and 19. So, yeah, he's running out of time. Regardless, the Ruiz contract will really start to kick in when you get those guys off the books. And, you know, we'll see. And, again, I think for the Nationals in terms of maybe selling their team, too, to have a young, in theory, franchise cornerstone locked up will only, I would think, attract bidders. But I don't know. I know nothing. Uh, The Marlins, free agent move. They signed first baseman Yuli Gurriel uh, to a one-year deal. They've been connected with each other for a few months now. Uh, It was reported a month ago they offered him a deal around $2 million and took it off the table after a week went by without a response. Uh, But now the financial terms have not been released yet, but Gurriel is heading uh, to the Marlins. Um, Which, you know what, just before I go into the stats, Marlins, sign more Cuban guys. Uh, Like, there's no reason not to. I say it every week. I don't understand why they don't get... They just sign more guys. It's fucking Miami. Well, it comes down to Sherman dollars and cents. He just doesn't want to spend money. But yes, you're right. Yes. Yeah, so. if, if if you gave comparable offers, because no state income tax in Florida, right? Yep. No state income tax and Miami being Miami. Shit, I got LeBron out of Cleveland. 
this is the second MLB organization for Gurriel. He spent the previous seven seasons for the Astros. 2017 to 19, he had 296, 336, 486. Uh, he struggled in 2020, but bounced back in 2021. Won a batting title, hitting 319, 132 WRC+. Plus. This past year, 242, 288, 360. Uh, but he was a part of the World Series champs. Guriel, um, they're looking for another upturn from him. Sneakily 39 years old. Didn't came up very old, yeah. Yeah, I know he's a Cuban guy who came over late. I didn't know he was quite that old. 39 years old. Um, but despite the up-and-down nature of his overall production, he's only punched out in 11.2% of his career plate appearances. Last year, that went up to a career high, which was, again, only 12.5%. Uh, he's played multiple positions over the past few years. He's probably going to be limited to first, but he could play you know, elsewhere over the infield. Um, all in all... I like this move for the Marlins. I think, A, you're not only addressing the Latin American community, but, B, you're signing another good veteran guy. Um, here's my question for you. By the end of the year, who do you think has the higher Bavada odds to produce a war? What's a low war total? A 2.0 for their new team. Um, Yuli Gurriel in Miami or... Lourdes Gurriel, I believe, in Arizona. Is that where he got traded? Arizona or Colorado? Wasn't he a part? No, it's definitely um, uh, Arizona because he was part of the Varshall trade, Varsho trade. I'd probably take Yuli just because I kind of – I feel like Miami's going to do something. I think Miami might start hot and then trade him. I, I mean, the Marlins – if nothing else... And he I, won the batting title two years yeah, ago. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, they back-to-back AL batting champs now. I don't think the Marlins are going to be a good team, but they have a lot of hitters now in that lineup. You know, um, Gurriel, Arias, Joey Wendell's not on the same tier as them, but Joey Wendell... Solaire. That's going to be in my back half. Just give me a second. I'm going to the top half. Well, there's two different types of hitters. Where you have guys like those one, two, three, who just consistently put the ball in play in a really tough out... And then you have, you know, Jazz, who's an excited doing all guy. Uh, and then it's Vizel Garcia and Soler, who can go boom, boom, and get hot and just crush home runs with the best of them. I'm not saying the Marlins team's going to be good, but I will say I don't think it's going to be as easy to navigate through their lineup, you know, once or twice over as casual baseball fans may realize. All that said, though, they're only going to not be in last place because the Nationals suck. I, I, where would they finish in the NL Central? If they were in the NL Central, fourth, you st- you love the Cubs for some reason. Yeah, I think the Cubs. Uh, well, you know the only thing with the Marlins is the pitching staff is just so even without Pablo Lopez, you still have Sandy. I think Lasardo is a dark horse All Star candidate. He looked really good after that trade with uh, the A's for AJ Puck. Uh, Trevor Rogers, I think, bounces back. They still, uh, um, Edward Cabrera was great for my fantasy team last year down the stretch. Sixto Sanchez, they got anything on him. The pitching's really good, which I think might mask the lineup. Are you asking me if I think the Marlins and Cubs are going to have more wins? Yeah, pretty much. I'll go Cubs by like two wins, ever so slightly. If you gave me, if Bavada had Cubs or Marlins plus two wins over the Cubs, I'd throw a grand on it. That's That's fair. I can't. I can't argue with you. You uh, actually just argued for me. I. I just. Uh, I don't know. I like this Cubs team. I like Marcus Simeon, and I like this year's Cubs team. I don't know what to tell you. One thing I also don't. One thing I don't like. It's a team I like, and one thing I don't like is uh, the New York Yankees. A lot of injuries, and I feel like we've kind of beat this horse 
so dead that we could be sniffing glue for weeks with it. But every year, the Yankees are just injured and injured and injured. And right now, it's March 13th. And, I mean, what's I know 5 divided by 25 is 20%. What's 5 divided by 26? Because the math isn't clean like it used to be. A little under 20%. All right, so we'll call it about, 18, we'll call it about 19.5 or 6%. Yeah, we literally have a giant calculator next to us that we are not using. Uh, what's the math there? 19.2. All right, so 19.2%. Of the Yankees opening day roster on March 13th is going to start the year on the injured list. Uh, where should we begin here? Should we go most detrimental to least detrimental or the other way around? Or should we talk about who used to be our favorite um, and now I would bury him into the fucking ground if I could? I mean, I think the Montas thing kind of stands alone. All right. So let's start with Montas. Frankie Montas last week said he was not 100% healthy last year when he was traded to the Yankees and emphasized he expects to pitch this season. Don't buy the latter either. He's expected to miss at least the first half of the season after undergoing surgery last month on the labrum in his pitching shoulder. First off, there's no way he's coming back in the second half. He got shoulder surgery. My ENT just got shoulder surgery. The guy can't even sleep because he can't lie down. I've I've written him off for the year. Um, he told reporters that he tried to push through shoulder issues when he joined the Yankees last season. He said, I got traded to a new team and wanted to show what I could do. Things didn't go the way I was expecting. Let's play the blame game here. I don't blame Montas for this. I, I almost, In a way, I give Montas credit because, again, he knew he was going from Oakland to the Yankees in a pennant race. He wanted to endear himself to the fan base. You know, look, did it end up having the opposite effect because he got rocked and a lot of people hate Frankie Montas? Yes. Now, Yes. But we yes. knew from day one, like even last year, we knew the Montas medicals weren't great. Um, but despite that, the Yankees traded, you know, some solid middle-of-the-road prospects to get him. Uh, what do you say to Brian Cashman after this? I mean, you traded for a guy you as him, your signature deadline move who was very obviously hurt. You tell him to stop making deals with Oakland. Yeah, well, that's a given. You say stop making deals. And this was just... At least Sonny Gray pitched. Did this move need to be made? At all. I think it did need to be made because at the time we didn't know we were going to be getting from Domingo Herman because he was coming off injury and suspension or suspension and then injury. Bad dude. Yeah. So Domingo Herman, bad juju. Garrett was pitching pretty consistently. Um, Sevy was injured and was coming off an injury. Nestor was unbelievable the whole year, but we didn't know how he was going to hold up. You know, the move made sense, but it almost seems like it was a response to the Castillo move, and we had to make the move. Look, I was pumped when we made the trade at the time. I just think nobody knew just how hurt Montas really was, and I just think it reflects really poorly on... Yeah, that. Yeah, that's inexcusable for someone who's been a GM, or whatever the hell he's been for almost 30 years now. Trading for a guy with bad medicals... I mean, people were calling for Cashman's job before this. That's the sort of thing that costs you your job. And I think, I think you know, you mentioned like apples and oranges before. I, I don't think all bad medicals are created equal. You know, again, if this was like a foot thing or a knee thing or uh, like a rib cage, whatever. But it was in the guy's, not just a shoulder injury. Again, if it was in his left shoulder, maybe I feel differently. I don't feel it strong. But the guy had a labrum issue in his pitching shoulder. I, I just, I'm dumbfounded. I'm absolutely dumbfounded. Any pitcher with the shoulder concern, you sh- they should be off your list. You don't want to deal with any sort of shoulder problems ever with a pitcher. Elbows people come back from, shoulders and careers. Another guy we got at the deadline, um, and this one I'll give him you know 
a little bit more leeway because he probably was, not probably, he was our best hitter in the ALCS and was not particularly close. Uh, Bader is diagnosed, Harrison Bader, with a strain left oblique. Uh, and it's looks like he's going to be out at least six weeks. Is Bader just injury prone? I mean, when we yeah. acquired him last year, he got the Liz Frank surgery. Uh, you know, it's like Bader's a guy I would love to lock up. The problem is, if you lock him up, is this just going to be Aaron Hicks 2.0 now? I mean, when Bader plays, he's great defensively. He was awesome. I think he had like seven, eight home runs in the postseason for us. Like, Bader's a guy who grew up a Yankee fan, wants to be in New York, and the fans immediately resonated with him. But what do we say? The best ability is? Availability. And now, Bader's hurt a lot, which is a problem. He's really, this is a tough one. This is, because he really, like, LeMahieu's bats going the other way. I think we've ended peak DJ LeMahieu. I mean, Bader, in theory, is an ideal leadoff hitter, ideal center fielder for the New York Yankees. He checks all the boxes. Yep. But if he's not going to stay on the field, you can't lock him up. And we're going to mention these pitching injuries in a second, but again, oblique is one of those injuries. You can't really repair it unless it's torn, and it just lingers. Like, we'll be dealing with this now the entire season. Yeah. That's... Yeah, but I like... I'm the, I'm the last holdout on Aaron Hicks Island. When well, people want to come visit, well, here's, I'll send you So away. here's a segue to that. You know, uh, Bader is going to be out for opening day. Uh, what do you think the Yankee opening day lineup is? And and I will ask you this question first. Dominguez has four home runs. He's, I think, leading the American League in spring training home runs. And I'll be the first one to admit, a lot of those have come later in games when you have the B team pitching in. Lopey's hitting like 330. He hit a homer yesterday. He's got a couple, had a couple hits today. I don't think Dominguez is on the opening day roster, but I think maybe he's fast-tracked himself now where it's like, He's in double A for two weeks, triple A, maybe he's, you know, here in the summer. But what do you think the Yankee opening day lineup looks like now? I tried to do this yesterday, and with Bader out, it it gets ugly fast. So do you want me to just start running through how I would do it and you could just say yay or nay? Just hear, let me hear your team. Alright. Opening day. You got Well, how you would do it or how you think it's gonna happen? I think there's a little bit of overlap here. Because the guy who I have at shortstop, is hitting ninth regardless. Okay. So I would go DJ leading off DHing. Okay. Judge, I think I would go Judge in center. I have to. Judge in center, uh, hitting second. Then I would go Rizzo at first. Yep. Stanning in whichever corner he wants to play. Okay. I, I'm okay with either. Get him, keep him in the field. Yeah, no, and and I think this is hopefully going to be the impetus to play him a bit more in the field. Um, Glaber playing second. Okay. Donaldson playing third. Okay. As Waldo in the other corner outfield spot. You you're just benching Hicks. Oh no, sorry. I would start Hicks opening day. I would. Well, and and then it becomes: Do you want Donaldson and DJ or as Waldo stand and Hicks? Or I guess it's Waldo and Hicks or Donaldson and DJ. To me, opening day, I'd have Donaldson and DJ. Give Donaldson a week or two to try to win my trust back. I feel like Donaldson's going to start opening day. Yeah, and then I would go Trevino hitting eight. And I look, at this point, I we saw what IKF is. Volpe's done nothing but hit this spring. Give the kid a shot. If he sucks the first two weeks, you send him down to the minors. But if you're really about putting what I think is the best team on the field... This kid's a top 10 prospect in baseball for a reason. You didn't sign multiple $200 million shortstops the past couple years because of him. Let's let the kid play. See what happens. I agree. I, that's just never been what the Yankees do. No. 
Are they going to make an exception for this kid? Maybe, because the only guy they made an exception for, it feels like over the past 20-plus years, is Jeter. And I think in their mind, this is a Jeter-type guy. Yeah, I, we'll see. That, if they're, that would be the trying to win right away. Which would be really nice if they do that. All right, let's talk about the pitcher's injuries. Uh, Tommy Canely is on the IL uh, due to biceps tendonitis, which is great because he got Tommy John surgery two years ago. Uh, Lou Trevino has a mild elbow strain and will be out until May. Um, so the bullpen, which used to be pretty deep, we're probably looking at Greg Weiser on the opening day roster again. Not ideal. Bullpen will still be good, but you know those are two big pieces of it. But the big one is... Carlos Rodon, the Yanks' big free agent guy, six years, $162 million, is going to be co-aces with Garrett. Um, he's going to be on the injured list with a mild forearm stream and will be shut down for seven to ten days. No UCL damage. He's already undergone an MRI, but that doesn't put him there. Uh, doesn't put him making his debut for the season until mid to late April, they say. I will ask you this. What are the Bavada odds in your mind that Carlos Rodon throws a pitch for the Yankees in April? Um... It's probably plus plus one fifty. God, what a sad thing to. I, I and you're right. That's the problem. It's just why. I, again, the Yankees roster, the Yankees overall are so good. Why rush him back? Why rush him back? The Yankees. That's another thing they don't do. They don't rush people back. They'll let they'll let you take your time, and they'll, then you'll still get hurt again. But that's not because you were rushed back. Yeah, I think the uh, you know look. I think the real problem here is. It's something that benefited the Yankees huge last year. The games in April count just as much of the same as the games in the summer, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, I guess my worry is now the look Yankee rotation is looking like, at least for the month of the year, first month of the year, Garrett, who Garrett's a great in spring training, but it is coming off a good, not great year. Nestor coming off a career high in innings. Clark Schmidt, Herman. And then Seve will be the three-starter who, again, has all of his injury history. All of a sudden, what was supposed to be an area depth for the Yankees kind of makes me shrug my shoulders and go, I don't know about this right now. Would you have signed Trevor Bauer? No, I would not have done that. The baseball guy in me says yes, but the human being in me says no. Uh, it's just all of a sudden, it's like when a guy like Debbie Garcia, who hasn't pitched in the bigs in two years and was bad in the minors last year, Boone's bringing him up at pressers. It's like, oh, God. I mean, that pitching rotation and that lineup you and I just went over, uh, to me, Astros are much better than that. And if, and again, Rodon hopefully will be back, but uh, the Blue Jays win the division over that Yan- version of a Yankee team for sure. And if Tampa creeps around, they probably are better also. And I think Seattle's better. Well, I'm just saying, just in the AL East, but yeah, yeah the Astros. You led with the Astros. Yeah, well, it's like AL East and then Big Brother at this point, unfortunately. Yeah, Houston is Houston's Big Brother right now. I'm I'm man enough to admit it. Wow, I can't believe you admitted it, uh, dude. Of course, I told you at the end of the ALCS last year, and you can ask. I haven't brought it up once. I said I am done with the trash can unless we are referencing the 2017 season itself. But I will. I'm done with. I'll still yell "fuck Altuve" because it's just fun to be a part of that mob. But I'll never yell "cheater." I'll never yell "trash can" at these guys. They beat us down routinely. I, yeah, no argument here. 
Two guys announced their retirement. One we're not going to spend too much time on, but Lorenzo Cain, uh, he was released by the Brewers in June of last year. Didn't sign with another team. Said he was likely going to retire. We did our whole Lorenzo Cain spiel then. He's going to officially retire as an uh, Royal, though, this year. Uh, they're going to do the ceremony sometime during the season. Uh, the timing and logistics are still up to date. Uh, Mitch Moreland, 12-year big leaguer, 37-year-old first baseman. He retired this year, or retired this week. Uh, selected by the Rangers in the 17th round in 2007. He was in the big leagues three years later. Um, and that set the stage for a torrid postseason effort where the 24-year-old hit 348, 400, 500 with a homer and four doubles, helping the Rangers advance to the 2000 World Series. Um, and from that 2010. Po- 2010, thank you. 4-1 series loss to the Giants. And from that point forth, he was entrenched as a big leaguer. Logged regular time in the next 11 seasons as a slick fielding righty matching slugger in the middle of the order for the Rangers, Red Sox, Padres, and A's. Won a gold glove with the Rangers, was an all-star with the Red Sox. He signed his free agent there prior to 2017 and re-signed twice in free agency. Uh, the 2018 season was when he was an all-star, uh, and he won a World Series that year. Um, and in the fall class, he had 294, 368, 529, and a pitch, including a pinch hit three-run homer in the seventh inning of Game 4 of the World Series. That jump-started a rally that saw the Boston score nine runs en route to a comeback victory. Career 251, 318, 446 hitter, 186 home runs, 219 doubles, uh, made 36 million, gold glove, and remarkably, uh, his team made the postseasons in eight of his 12 seasons uh, in the big leagues. Congrats on a solid career for Mitch Moreland. He checked every box of what you want from a career. All-star, gold glove, won a ring, a lot of, for a guy who's going to get remarkably lost in the shuffle, you're correct. Yeah. That's a much nicer way of saying what I was going to say, which is a guy who isn't all that good. He was just kind of a guy. No, he's a that guy, for sure. He was just like a very average major leaguer who accomplished everything, everything he could. So good for him. He's a that guy. Um, Let's talk World Baseball Classic now to wrap this up. Have you been watching the games? No. All right, I've, I've watched kind of on and off a bit. Um, you know, looking at the standings and all the different pools, uh, it's interesting. Right now, um, two of the Bavada favorites to win this thing are not in a super great position to advance. Um, pool A, Cuba and Italy, 2-2. Two and two. Netherlands, everyone in Pool A was 2-2, two and two, actually. Cuba, Italy, the Netherlands, Panama, and Chinese Taipei. Uh, pool B, Japan and Australia advancing. Japan four and all, Australia three and one, Korea two and two, Czech Republic one and three. I guess China has terrible baseball. Did you know that? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I guess unfortunately, I you know I just assumed China, Japan, Korea are like the three titans of baseball. China really not good at baseball. Uh, pool C and Pool D is underway now. Canada's one and zero. Colombia one and one. Mexico one and one. USA one of the favorites one and one in danger of elimination today. Uh, Great Britain one and two. And then the other favorite, the Dominican Republic, they're one and one. They're in third place in Pool D in Miami. Venezuela two and one. Israel one and zero. Puerto Rico one and one. And Nicaragua zero oh and three. Um, here's some highlights so far. Just some quick snippets of the WBC. Last night the USA played Mexico. They kicked the shit out of us. Uh, they beat us 11-5. Joey Manessis, otherwise known as the guy who replaced Juan Soto. Uh, he had two home runs, uh, two building-shaking home runs, five RBIs against Team USA. A lot of the narrative right now is USA is limited by their pitching. And some people, Ken Roosevelt even wrote an article yesterday saying, if, you, if USA can't get the pitching, what's the point? Um, I think it was the statistic of the top 15 Americans against Cy Young votes last year. None of them are pitching for Team USA. To me, the big takeaway, though, is, yeah, the pitching sucked, but 
you know, the offense couldn't bail him out, and the offense are superstars. Obviously, 11 runs is a ton. Um, and Mark DeRosa was definitely hamstringed by the fact that he has mandates for certain pitchers. Last night, it was Brady Singer to say, get him these amount of innings, this amount of pitches, where, you know, a veteran manager like Jim Leland in 2017 might have just said, no, 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 I'm doing this my way. Uh, but the U.S. really very much on the verge of elimination. Do you think for the next WBC, pitchers will sign up where the superstar pitchers will match the superstar lineup that the USA has? No. The, it, extra innings on a pitcher is dangerous always. Way more dangerous than a hitter taking extra cuts. I'd ask you a question. You think it's a coaching issue? They don't have any coaches on this team. They just kind of assembled like a, a, what equates to a celebrity game coaching staff. Oh, I, think I, I, think, I think I don't know if it's the main issue, but I think it's certainly an issue. Um, you know, I love DeRosa, but you know, you're managing All-Stars for the first time in a format that is inherently unlike any other in Major League Baseball throughout the year. And I think the only guy on the team with coaching experience is Charlie Manuel on the staff. Is he the bench coach? It's it's I like it's like it's nice for us to see Pettit Griffey and they got Rags. Rags is, I believe, the bullpen coach. Um, and he was a three time World Series winning pitching coach for the Giants. But yeah, no, I do think it's certainly part of it. Um I also just think at the end of the day though, some of these guys they could just use better pitching. I think coaching is a part of it, but you know, their their opening day starter was Kyle Freeland. All that said though, they won the World Baseball Classic the last go around and the rotation was Marcus Stroman. I think Miles, no, Miles Nicholas wouldn't have been on the team. It was Stroman, Danny Duffy, Tanner Roark. So again, not no superstar pitchers no, there. This, this lineup should carry major league quality starting pitchers. Other games to uh, from the past week worth noting: Canada and Great Britain. Uh, Britain, which is appearing in its first WBC, combined to score twenty six runs Sunday, setting the new WBC record. Uh, it was an eighteen eight mercy rule victory for Canada after seven innings. Six members of the club starting nine collected multi hits efforts, and Canada drew sixteen walks. Um, and then a day later, Korea set the record for most runs for a single team: twenty two games against twenty two runs against China uh, earlier today. Canada might beat the U.S. tonight. Well, who's starting? For us, I think it's... I think it's Nicholas. I'm not 100% sure. Does Bavada have the odds up on that? I would probably take Canada. I'll tell you right now. Let's, uh, let's pull up the old app. It is... Baseball. WBC. Oh, I missed it. USA is minus 500. Canada's plus 360. We should sprinkle some value on Canada. Canada's starting pitcher, though, is 19 years old tonight for whatever that is worth. Sprinkle them minus one and a half. Uh, Lance Lynn. Oh, dude, I can't bet against Lance Lynn. I can't. Uh, all right, good luck to you. Uh, other games worth noting that Pua tiebreaker is a five-way tiebreaker. Italy, 7-1 win against, after their 7-1 win against Panama, uh, there was the five-way tie, and them and Cuba advanced uh, over Australia because of the... Uh, fewest runs allowed tiebreaker. Uh, so again, Cuba and Italy in Netherlands, Panama, and Chinese Taipei going home. Netherlands were one of my picks. Um, them going home early is a big upset. Credit to Mike Piazza though and Team Italy. Piazza and Harvey, and Harvey, two Mets legends, leading them through. Gotta love any sort of Harvey content. One big upset was uh, Colombia beating Mexico five four Saturday in a shocker to start pool play. Uh, the Venezuelan team finally beat the Dominican Republic. Um, it was their first win over the DR in the World Baseball Classic. They won 5-1 on Saturday night, led by David Peralta's three RBIs. Uh, the Chinese Taipei-Netherlands game. 
That was a huge upset and was what really cost the Netherlands. Uh, Chinese Taipei beat the Netherlands 9-5 Saturday. One of the biggest upsets of the first round. Uh, the Czech Republic, they're playing in their first World Baseball Classic in the country's history. And they got their first win in the tournament, beating China in an 8-5 victory this weekend. Um, Australia upset Korea to advance out of their pool. Panama got their first win in WBC history over Chinese Taipei. And in fact, they gone 30 straight innings without scoring a run in the WBC before erupting. Um... And two personal player notes. Uh, Salvi in the 9-1 Venezuela win versus Puerto Rico. Probably the game of the tournament so far. 4-4, four four, two doubles, one homer, and five RBIs. Um, and this is a really cool one today. Nicaraguan pitcher Duque Hebert. Uh, he pitched against the DR. He's 21 years old. He was the Nicaraguan League's Rookie of the Year. Struck out Soto, Julio, and Devers to end the ninth inning. And got signed to a contract immediately after by a Tiger scout. That's the cool story that this tournament is made of. Because there's no way the kid from Nicaragua is getting a shot. Struck out three all-star MVP candidates. And uh, boom, all of a sudden you got a big league deal. Uh, or a, a, More teams should have signed him. If you can put that together at any point. You strike out those three. That Yeah, that's worth a look. It's, it's, it's malpractice by the other 29 teams if they didn't make an offer. So that's the WB so far. USA plays Canada tonight. We'll talk about that more next week. Uh, we'll probably get into some semifinals and finals. I don't know the exact schedule. Uh, tweets of the week. Alex Bregman says he's been working on a bounce throw to second base because it's easier to be ac- accurate, more accurate than by attempting a soft throw while running to the left. I saw him do this in spring training, and he did it effectively. And I think this just shows how talented these big league infielders are. Like He's deliberately doing what is essentially a bounce pass to second base to start a double play, and it's working. If it fucks up, he's going to look like such a moron. I agree. It'll, it'll fall under the heading of why Jews can't have nice things for me. But he's right. I mean, he's. I, I'm imagining he's right. I don't move fast enough for that to be an Well, just think, though. If you Think of, like, even in, like, no, team league, if you're playing third base. Like, that's a really tough throw to make on the move. I'm a shortstop in team league. Well, picture if you were playing third. <laughs> I don't see a scenario where I move off shortstop. Okay, next tweet then. Uh, this is from Steven Scott. Um, Billy Mick, uh, he had his first career college home run, I believe it was for Clemson, and it was a walk-off grand slam. That's a good one. Did you see what Empire Reggie Drummer did this weekend? No, I did not. Pull up, Look up Reggie Drummer right now. While I talk about it, I want you to see the video on Twitter. Uh, it was a strike three call to end the game in the New Orleans-Mississippi Valley State game. He's been suspended indefinitely by the Southland Conference. Just look up this video, guys. It was a tough strike two call. Um, and the hitter, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go so far as to say showed him up all the way, but definitely showed him up a little bit. And then the last pitch was feet and feet off the plate, and it turned into the ump show. And the guy called it strike three for a pitch that, was like a borderline wild pitch at times. Strike three. Ooh. I mean, that's – and this is why people want robots. Though. I mean, you just watched that for the first time. That's clearly an umpire not just saying, screw my job. I'm going to get back at this kid. Uh, it's unbelievable. That's bad. Yeah, no. I, last week or two weeks ago, I went on an anti-umpire thing. It's bad. You, your job is you – you can't do that as the umpire. That's – and the being a behind the plate umpire is very. I know you've done it. It's hard being behind the plate. It's terrible. But there's like so we give certain umpires leeway. That shit's unacceptable. And he's 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 right to have been suspended indefinitely. Yeah. Um. And and I think I had a whole train of thought here, and I just lost it. Do you think this is made worse by the? I mean, again, this is unforgivable in any situation. But to do that to end the game in particular, uh, to me, makes it even more egregious. 
But yeah. if you do it in the middle innings, they're probably going to kill you. You risk a manager going after you. If you do it in the middle you. innings, you risk a manager coming after you, or you risk people forgetting about it. Yes. From Codify, Kyle Schwarber is now the only player to homer in the World Series, ALCS, NLCS, ALDS, NLDS, an AL wildcard game, an NL wildcard game, and the World Baseball Classic. Sneakily the best big game player in baseball? No. 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 Not sneakily or? Not the best big game player in baseball. That's a lot of home runs or just very good circumstances. Yeah. He's, it's crazy that anybody's even played in all of those, to be 100% he's honest. They're not good teams. Yeah, I mean, he went from the Cubs, was traded to the Nats, or signed with the Nats, but then got flipped to the Red Sox, and then was part of this Phillies team. Somebody asked, what does Anthony Volpe need to do to make the opening day shortstop for the Yankees? The top response was, has he tried hitting feeble grounders in every at-bat and booting every other ball shortstop? Last I checked, this will get the job in a chokehold. Yeah. Sad but true. Uh, Cal Quantrill started from Team Canada this week. He walked a total of 12 batters in the first innings of his 77 regular and postseason MLB starts. He walked four in the first inning of his start for Team Canada. Yeah, that kind of checks out. I that sucks. Yeah, that's not, you can't walk that many guys. I wish he was doing that tonight. Um, and this is from Codify. Just a fun thing. This is the highest total for each offensive category over any 162-game span in baseball history. Babe Ruth, 190 runs. Babe Ruth is good. Uh, Nabla Joey, George Sisler, and O'Doul. I can only assume the beer was named after him, non-alcoholic. 281 hits. Each year over an 162-game stretch had 231 six singles. George Burns, not the comedian, 76 doubles. Shoeless Joe hitting 38 triples over that stretch might be the most impressive to me. He didn't have shoes. He was fast. Bonds, 80 home runs. Gehrig, 198 RBIs. Bonds, 245 walks. Ricky, 140 steals. What is the most and what is the least impressive to you there? Well, first, nothing is surprising. There's no names where I look at that, I agree, and I go, huh. I... Yeah, I, I don't. I, I guess runs. I, I think it's the runs is the most impressive, just because you 190 runs scored, especially for a guy built like Babe Ruth. I would say the least impressive is 245 walks. Is crazy too. Uh, I'm almost gonna say the least impressive is Ichiro's 231 singles, only from the standpoint of he was a singles hitter. I'd almost say the walks, if you value the intentional walk, I'm imagining that the good chunk of those were intentional, or even if not officially intentional. So that record may have been handed to him, but I like your take on the singles, because it's not like he was, it's like 230 sing, 231 singles and 50 homers. It was like 231 singles and... And then like 30 everything else. I'm assuming that's part of, a big chunk of that is the 04 year where he had 262 hits. You'd think. I would think that. Alas, the research doesn't go that far. That's all I got for this week's podcast. Any concluding thoughts? March Madness coming up this week. Uh, the next two weeks, we'll start to do some more previews for the regular season. Give you some insight into our fantasy baseball uh, mental states and some sleepers going into the year. But in the meantime, what about this week? I got nothing. Um, congrats to Top Gun for only winning one Oscar. Should have been more. Should have made up a category just to get Top Gun Maverick and Oscar. Well, if Cruz showed up, I think they would have, uh, you know, I think they would have won more Oscars. He was filming, he's filming scenes for MI7 and 8 right now. Yeah, he was jumping out of planes instead. It was probably more important. He's an so stay healthy, be like Tom Cruise the actor, not like Tom Cruise the person. My concluding thoughts will be go Bruins. They open up this week against UNC Asheville in the West region. 
Shout out to the band Goose. Thanks for putting out a great concert. Uh, and again, opening day is just two weeks away. So enjoy uh, enjoy seeing and talking to me for the next two weeks because once the Yankee season hit, that all goes to shit. One last shout out I should have mentioned during the WBC. Um, good luck to uh, our friend Ben Griezmann trying to get that full-time job. And on your behalf, we're plugging Team Israel. Go Israel. Go Jews. L'chaim to that. With Bryce Holden, my name is Chase Minorski. This is Underdog Sports Baseball Show. Have a great week. <laughs>